This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 441. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by our Director of Training at Mountain Man Medical, Brian McLaughlin. What's up, Brian? What's going on, Riley? Uh, we're looking forward to a great show with Brian today. We're going to talk about how one word could potentially save a life, maybe even your life or the life of a loved one. This is a key thing to uh, get into your head because what I have found is this can really help you be focused when things seem to be falling apart, uh, which is often the case when uh, when we're dealing with emergency trauma medicine, uh, which is the topic of today's episode. So, uh, of course, uh, Mountain Man Medical, uh, our sponsor of today's episode, I'll go into a couple of special sponsor messages momentarily, but I had to get something off my chest, Brian. Okay. And, and you may not have heard it, uh, but I was just catching up with the uh, episode that Jacob recorded with Andrew Branca uh, last episode. And I just got to say, somebody's got to light a fire under Jacob's butt when when he's doing the intro to the podcast. You know, it's like, this is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 440. Welcome. I am your host. <laughs> got to put a little pizzazz on it. <laughs> Uh, Jacob's not really the dude to put pizzazz on stuff, but we need to we need to liven up the the show just a just a little bit. He needs a hype man. That's what he needs. I can, <laughs> I can get in the back and just like you know pump him up a little bit. <laughs> but it's a great episode, by the way. So, folks, if you missed episode four forty, uh, it, it is not yet quite published. To well, by the time you hear this episode, if you're listening to the audio recording, uh, it will be published. But at the uh, the audio version of that episode will be published tomorrow morning. Uh, so if you need to catch that one on your podcast app, or of course you can go see it on YouTube or Facebook, but they address some really important legal uh, issues. Uh, I thought it was a really great episode. So back to episode sponsors, mountainmanmedical.com. Uh, two things. First off, we just launched this last week a new trauma kit. I'm holding it up here for the camera for those of you watching. This is the Wind River kit. Look at this thing. It's like the size of my head, okay? So it's quite a bit bigger than the uh, uh, Yellowstone and the Sweetwater kits that you might be familiar with. This thing is perfect for the vehicle or on the range or in your boat or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, uh, outdoor activity. Uh, this, I'll tell you what, this is the one that's riding shotgun with me in the truck. And this is the one that's coming out on the table at the, at the range uh, when, when we're there teaching classes or shooting or whatever. Uh, let me just go down real quick, and we'll, we'll, we'll have Brian chime in, too, with his thoughts on the Wind River. But let me just highlight for you what is all included in the Wind River Trauma Kit. Uh, two North American Rescue Genuine Cat Gen 7 tourniquets, one SWAT-T tourniquet, one North American Rescue 4-inch Mini Emergency Trauma Dressing, a uh, Israeli-style dressing, four pairs of gloves, Shears, North American Rescue hyphen compact twin chest seals, twin pack, uh, a permanent marker, a emergency rescue blanket, two self-closure elastic bandages, two quick clot, two four yards of two-inch rolled gauze, two burn cream or four burn cream packets, four triple antibiotic packets, ibuprofen, acetaminophen. Uh, or acetaminophen, <laughs> Tylenol, <laughs> diphenhydramine, which is a which is a antihistamine, Dynarex uh, sting and bite wipes, four of those, one pair of tweezers, eight antiseptic antiseptic wipes, adhesive bandages, ten of those, a triple band or triangle bandage, uh, one of those, and two non toxic instant cold packs. Most of you probably just turned off your radio or your podcast uh, app just trying to listen to that all, but gives you the idea. We packed a lot into this one kit. It's meant to be 
kind of that, like I said, that it, for me, it's my perfect vehicle kit. It will go with me everywhere I go. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, uh, an ankle kit I often wear. I've got a kit on my backpack that goes with me just about everywhere. I've got other kits in my vehicle. I've got a kit in a range bag. Uh, this will be, this is, this is the big boy, uh, that'll go with me. So, uh, Brian, uh, obviously with your expertise, uh, we put together the wind river kit. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, on this new kit? Um, well, I, I put a lot of thought into it, um, trying to put up a kit that's going to be able to handle a much wider variety of situations. Um, our Sweetwater and our Yellowstone, they're great kits, but they're more for, you know, your ones or twos type of patients. You know, you're not going to be treating a large number of people for that. And right. they're, the they're wind- more like true IFACs, like individual first aid kits. Yeah. And this is, this is taking it a step above an IFAC. Right. Ideally, you could have, you know, a Yellowstone for each member of your family kind of a thing, and then everyone would be pretty well stocked up. Um, But not everybody's got that kind of money. And some people want to be able to use their medical kits on a more regular basis. Trauma is important and you should have gear to treat trauma, of course, because it is, you know, you can die from it. But uh, at the same time, you've got a lot of other things going on, like strains and sprains and headaches and nausea and stings and all that other type of stuff that tends to pop up, especially with, uh, you know, the kind of community that we tend to uh, cater to. They're outdoors a lot. They're out doing stuff. These are, you know, generally people that do things for themselves around their property and you know you're using chainsaws or you're doing your little home remodel it's important to have some trauma gear on standby in case you need to keep yourself alive or you know a family member alive until the ambulance can get there so it's the wind river is designed to treat more people there's a lot more trauma gear in it um, the israeli bandage an extra tourniquet um, you've got the swat t you can treat either one really really bad patient or multiple trauma patients with life-threatening wounds. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we stepped it up with this kit too, and that it, it also doubles as a more of a traditional first aid kit with all the other items, your band-aids, uh, some of the, the, you know, meds, ibuprofen, uh, acetaminophen and so forth. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's kind of the do everything kit. That's not, you know, so big that you, you need a, a backpack or a whole separate, you know, uh, thing to haul it around with. So, so it's a great kit, uh, available again on, on the website, mountainmanmedical.com available now, uh, go check it out. Uh, we, we definitely encourage that one final thing we want to mention and remind you all of a, of the, of the free, uh, emergency trauma response training course. It's available for anybody to use, uh, covers, uh, some, you know, really great information, important information, basic life-saving information. Uh, Brian, of course, a big key, and and you're you know you were the big contributor to making sure that that course could come together. Uh, but that is uh, always available, always free. Go to mountainmanmedical.com forward slash trauma dash medicine dash training. That'll that link to get you there and get signed up for the free emergency trauma response course. That also, if you complete that course, grants you access. Uh, you can join our uh, Facebook group. That's only for those that have been through that training course. And that's a great place to interact with other like-minded individuals. Brian's in there. I'm in there. Uh, if you have questions about anything trauma related, uh, that's a great place to, to have those discussions. Again, you got to go through the, uh, the free training course online at mountmanmedical.com to get access to the, to the uh, Facebook group. You'll get I got I got a couple of things to say about that. I, I, I just, I want, I'm really proud of the training uh, program that we got out there and I'm, I'm really excited that we're able to offer it for free. Uh, you know, a big reason why I wanted to become involved with Mountain Man Medical was because I believed in the vision of trying to help as many people as possible. And it's, it's fine to sell the medical kits and everything, but all of the gear in the world won't help you out if you don't have any training to back it up. And it's not ideal to train online. Um, personally for me, I prefer to do that in-person training where I can get that real hands-on experience. And when I'm, when I fail, I've got an instructor to tell me why and how I can do better. Um, but at the same time, you got to have something. And with COVID out there, it's kind of hard to find those classes. So offering the ability to offer an online class for free, 
I think is, is, a, is a huge value. And I'm really excited for everybody to go check that out and, um, and tell me what you think. I think the class or the whole course turned out really well. I think you are a big part of that, making sure that that came together like it did. And there's a lot of good training in there and it's all for free. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, someone's uh, requesting that we post uh, the link to that in the chat. Uh, for those of you listening to the pod- audio podcast, you can uh, uh, grab that uh, link in the show notes of today's episode. And for those of you watching, I will drop that link in here momentarily. So, And if anybody uh, wants to see Riley uh, with blood all over him getting <laughs> tourniquets put on, then you got to go check it out. Right, right. And, you know, we had a great time filming that course, and uh, I, I am also, you know, proud of the uh, of the way it came together. I mean, I think it's a it's a great training product, and I agree with you that in person training, hands on, is very, very important to get as well. Uh, this is either a great refresher for those of you that have been through some courses before, or it's a great primer. Uh, before you uh, are able to get to a in-person course, uh, and I will encourage this. And the link, by the way, that this the link that's that's in the show notes of today's episode uh, on that page is is, is other training opportunities uh, such as Stop the Bleed courses. Uh, there's a link on that page to take you to find uh, your nearest Stop the Bleed course, and that is a great course. Many of them are put on for free, so uh, get signed for a Stop the Bleed course, and that'll be a great help for you. Um, I'll tell you, Brian, and I've shared this before. I don't ever get tired of talking about it. Maybe people get tired of listening about it, but uh, I've had a couple of traumatic uh, uh, e- events in my life, uh, including responding to a couple of pretty serious uh, uh, vehicle accidents uh, where people have died, unfortunately. Uh, they're very, very, you know, uh, some of those memories are very vivid in my mind. Uh, as I'm sure you have some vivid memories yourself of being on, uh, you know, in the war zone, uh, or even in some of the other things you've done. Uh, my, the the thing that first became my big driver, my, you know, that has developed this passion within me to get training, to get some knowledge, to be able to handle myself in a stressful situation, and to be able to be an assistance uh, to those in need. Uh, because, you know, th- this isn't, this is the sort of thing where we're there to help somebody on the worst day of their life, uh, or we're, we're helping ourselves. Uh, and it's our worst day of our life. You know, we've got a bad injury and we're bleeding out, whatever it is. Uh, I responded to an accident. I came up on the scene as, as a young 18 year old, uh, just out of high school, working construction, a construction job and coming home from work and, uh, just, being just just behind a, a really bad accident where a little girl unfortunately passed away, I felt so helpless in that instant. Even as a Boy Scout, and I had had some Boy Scout first aid training, I didn't know what to do, and uh, it, it it impacted me in a big way. Uh, the only thing I I felt qualified to do that day was to offer words of of support. Uh, trying to calm down the mother of this child as she held her in her arms. Uh, that stuck with me. Uh, all it's been with me all this time. Yeah, and uh, I re- I went right out, and the first thing I did is I took a CPR uh, uh, first aid course uh, because I was like, huh, I I didn't feel like I could even handle myself in a C- you know in a situation where CPR was needed, or even to properly diagnose of CPR was needed. So uh, I went right out, took, I took my first course, and that has kind of that got me started on this path. Uh, I certainly don't have the level of experience that you have, Brian, but I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about this topic. And one thing I wish I knew then, uh, I learned this probably for the first time about 10 years ago, was what we're here to talk about today. And it's this one word that I think can really have a positive effect on uh, people involved in these kind of situations and it might even save somebody's life. And that one word is actually not, it's actually a bit of a uh, misnomer of the podcast episode today, the title, um, because it's really an acronym, but it is made up from a, from a word. I mean, it, it forms a word and that word is March, M-A-R-C-H. Uh, so Brian, we brought you back on today to share with us 
your thoughts and, and to, to instruct us on the ways of this March algorithm, what it means, how we can use it uh, to, again, know what to do, how to do it, prioritize what things in, and then keep us focused on the right things in a highly stressful trauma event. Yeah, I think that this, the situation that you described, um, you know, coming up on that accident when you're 18, it's, I don't think that I've ever run into a police officer or a paramedic or a firefighter who hadn't said that the reason why they got into the job is because they felt helpless at some point in their life and they didn't like feeling like that. And, and feeling like that, feeling helpless, drove them to go and find the training and, and figure out how to um, actually take care of somebody in a bad situation. And professionals like firefighters and EMTs and paramedics, they're not different from you and me. They've just been trained on what to do. They know what to do and they have experience doing it. And it's harder to get that experience unless you're in a, in a job like that but you can still get the training and still get the practice and understand what to do. And it's not difficult. Like trauma medicine, they let people like me do it. So, you know, it's, it's not hard to learn this stuff. This is a very easy topic. The hard part about it is seeing the blood and knowing that there's a life on the line. That's yeah. usually what makes people um, kind of freeze up a little bit. Like if I do the wrong thing, then they'll die. Well, if you don't do anything, then they could die. Or you could do everything right and they still die. Or you could do nothing and they live. You know, you don't really have a whole lot of control over that beyond doing your best in the situation. And um, it's up to you to decide what your level of best is based on the training and the knowledge that you decide to get. Um, and the, the course goes over a lot of this March stuff too. So if you want to go and check that out, uh, it gets a little more in depth and you can use that as a good resource. Um, but March is generally used in the military as a part of uh, the TCCC guidelines, the Tactical Combat Casualty Care. There's been a few letters added on at various stages. At one point, it was like P March P, and then it was March P, and then I don't even know what it is now. But for the most part, I like to use just the regular March when I'm talking with civilians because it covers the best uh, variety of um, things that we need to, to, to be considering. And first and foremost, M. M-A-R-C-H, the first M stands for massive hemorrhage or massive bleeding, because that's the thing that's going to kill you the quickest. And it's the most easily treatable if you've got the right gear on you. Um, you can do a lot of good for somebody if they're bleeding out. If you don't have any gear, the best thing that you can do to control bleeding is direct pressure. Um, I think the best way to do that is with the palm of your hand. Just put the palm of your hand into the wound, directly into the wound. Don't mind the blood. If you've got gloves, obviously put those on. But if you don't, just direct pressure right into the wound and hold it there until the bleeding stops and keep holding it until a police officer or a paramedic or EMT can get on scene with a cat tourniquet to assist you because that's, that's ultimately what's going to keep them alive for that major bleeding. Yeah, I mean, you, you're right that we can do a lot with direct pressure on a wound, uh, but the challenge is that it's it's hard to uh, maintain pressure for a long time because you know you may tire out, uh, or you may there may be other things you need to address. Uh, you might even have multiple wounds that are both bleeding pretty badly or multiple casualties. Exactly. And so, uh, so that's where the value of a quality tourniquet really uh, is seen because, um, you know, you can apply consistent, constant, effective pressure on a limb uh, that is, you know, that has bad arterial bleeding in particular and, and get on to other things. So, yeah. Um, but, but you're right. The, the fir very first thing we want to do now, actually, I want to back up a little bit because you talked about how uh, in your, in your uh, career, in your background, in your experience, the March algorithm has, has had some variations for you, such as P March P. And that first P, I, I think we should just mention this really quick, Brian, because I think this, this should, uh, this, you know, it, it goes without saying, but it shouldn't go without saying, you know what I mean? Uh, common sense would dictate, I think, but again, it's important that we acknowledge it, that when we're responding to a situation, we first need to make sure that we are not putting ourselves or anyone else 
in danger with our actions of responding to whatever, you know, thing is happening. Right. So, uh, you know, for instance, if, if, if this is a car accident and you're on a busy highway by, by you stopping, getting out of your car, running into the road and you get hit by a semi truck as you're trying to run over to the median or something to assist this person, uh, that, that doesn't, that does nobody any good. Uh, in fact, it hampers the rescue effort because, uh, now first responders have multiple casualties to deal with instead of maybe just the one or whatever, the, the initial one. Uh, you know, of course, then you're injured or you're hit, hurt or you're killed. So that that's no good. You know, that's not why anybody does what they do. Uh, so uh, that's the first, that's the P that precedes uh, the March algorithm in some uh, circles. And so, uh, you know, Again, that should always be our consideration when something is going on. We're responding to an accident, an injury, uh, any kind of event. Uh, maybe it's a maybe it's an electrical shock, right? Somebody has just uh, been shocked, ele- electrocuted. Uh, we have to be super careful about approaching and not getting ourselves shocked as we're trying to render aid or assistance. So, you know, our first thought in that kind of situation is, well, what is the source of electricity, and can it be shut off, right? And so. Um, anyway, but, but I, I agree with you that in a, particularly in a civilian context, uh, keeping things simple is best. Uh, even remembering five things is a lot for most people. Three is more ideal, but unfortunately with this kind of stuff, with this emergency trauma medicine, uh, it, three things probably doesn't quite cover everything. So, um, you know, there, I think there's the classic ABC acronyms used uh, in, in the, in the past. Um, but March is definitely an improvement over ABC. So massive hemorrhage. Let's continue on from there. Uh, very first thing, like you said, getting direct pressure on the bleeding, uh, and and that allows us and hopefully buys us some time too. If we can, if we can actually get our palm or hand, uh, or even a a thumb, uh, putting pressure, uh, onto the source of the bleeding, then, you know, keeping the other hand free to go to a kit and start getting that kit open, getting that cat tourniquet out, getting it prepared, getting it ready to go on the leg, the arm, whatever it is. Yep. And on, uh, on children, it's even easier to, uh, to get that artery to occlude with direct pressure. So if you have kids or grandkids who get a really bad, um, wound where you, you're worried about life-threatening bleeding, you can usually, uh, stop that bleeding with just some direct pressure. Um, so that's something to take into consideration as well. And when it comes to, you know, patient and provider safety, like you were talking about, that's one of the things that's kind of the hardest things for a lot of people to understand because they they see it as whether or not you're a coward or not. You know, in the military, if you run outside of into the line of fire to drag somebody back, that's very brave. Yes, but it's also very stupid because if you get shot trying to go and save somebody else, now there's two people down. And especially if you're someone like me, who's the medic. Now your team is without a medic, you know, just because you are so brave to go out there and risk yourself. So you have to think about the, the larger picture. You got to accomplish the mission. The goal is not to, um, to be a hero. The goal is to do the most good possible. And sometimes the most good that you can do is do nothing or find a way to make the scene safe so that you can actually accomplish something without being injured yourself. So, so we got P patient and provider safety. You've got March, massive hemorrhage, um, that bleeding control. That's your most important thing. You need to double check and make sure that you're controlling that as much as possible. A patient can bleed out from a femoral artery within two minutes and 30 seconds to three minutes. Um, I have a YouTube video coming out soon where we're talking a little bit about uh, pressure dressing and I show where they do a, um, they cut the femoral artery on a pig and you can see how quickly that'll bleed out. And that's, that's a pretty interesting thing because one of the main things that I get with people who, who express fear about um, a trauma situation is knowing how much blood is enough to warrant the use of a tourniquet. You know, how, when should I apply that tourniquet? How do I know I should be applying that tourniquet? And I always tell them, if you're worried, apply the tourniquet. If you're thinking to yourself, wow, that's a lot of blood, 
just go ahead and apply that tourniquet. There's a lot of people out there who think that if you apply a tourniquet immediately, they're just going to have to have that arm or that leg amputated. There's no getting around it, but that's not true. I actually have a, another video out on my YouTube channel discussing some of these tourniquet myths. And I talk about that one pretty closely, but the rule of thumb based on a lot of studies um, is two hours. You can leave a tourniquet in place for two hours before you start having enough tissue damage where they're going to need to get a limb amputated. Once you start getting past six hours, there's usually no going back and the patient will definitely have to have a limb amputated. But if, as long as that tourniquet is off the patient within two hours, they're going to be just fine. So you got a lot of time. Average EMS response time in America is around 15 minutes though. So if you can bleed out from a femoral artery within two minutes, two and a half to three minutes, you can see why a tourniquet is so important to, you know, keeping someone alive. Eventually EMS will be there, but they're not going to be there fast enough to save you. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point, Brian, especially talking about how a femoral artery uh, injury can, uh, result to a person bleeding out. By bleeding out, you mean lose enough blood that uh, they're going to die, right? But here's something else to think about. Particularly, this is relevant in a situation where the injury is to you, yourself. Uh, While you may have two and a half, three minutes to get that bleeding stopped or slowed down uh, before you're in serious trouble, uh, you might only have a few seconds before you may actually lose consciousness or get lethargic or incoherent or confused about the situation. I'm actually reminded, Brian, of a video I watched uh, some time ago. You know, we, I, I, like you, probably I watch a lot of these uh, officer-involved shootings, surveillance videos, you know, these various attacks and things because I'm always studying the, the, I don't know, I don't know if I dare say it, the art of violence, right? But you know, the science uh, and, and, you know, these things that happen to people in real life reminded actually of a, of a stabbing where a man tries to defend, I think, another person from uh, another man with a knife. And that man, the Good Samaritan, actually gets stabbed, I think, just one time in his, in his thigh. And it uh, severs his femoral artery. And within about 15 seconds, he collapses to the ground, mm-hmm. you know, because, whoa, getting dizzy, down he goes. And probably within about 30 seconds, he slumps over. He's yep. passed out at that point. So that's how fast it can happen uh, if you get a severe enough uh, arterial wound like that. Uh, we really need to be ready to act when it's ourselves that we're dealing with. And it's also important to realize that you can't save everybody. As a medic, that's one of the things that I learned fairly early on, that there's just nothing that you can do. Even if you're the best medic in the world and you've been through this, if that guy that you were talking about, he got shot on the operating table, there's a still a pretty good chance he would he would not have made that. You know, There's just some things that you can't do. But what we want to focus on is preventable trauma. Yeah you know, um, like preventable death and, and knowing that like, Hey, I did everything that I could and that it just wasn't enough. You have to understand that and be able to accept that. Um, cause, uh, you know, you can struggle with a lot of this stuff afterwards, second guessing yourself and, you know, playing mind games. Like I should have done this, or I should have done that. And you can do that until it just drives you literally crazy. And, um, you, you just got to realize sometimes there's nothing that you can do. So yeah. we get we get that bleeding controlled. Um, tourniquets are fantastic if, if it's on the arm or the leg, but if that wound is anywhere else on the body, tourniquets aren't going to work for you. So you want to be able to understand how other wounds affect the human body and uh, what else you can use to treat that. And uh, the hemostatic, hemostatic gauze, especially that uh, quick clot, um, helps a lot for the junctional wounds in the armpits, the groin, and up here in the neck. Um, and so learning how to use that again, very simple, very easy. Uh, anybody can do it. It just takes a little time uh, learning it and, uh, you can pick that up. And there are such things as junctional tourniquets that exist, but, uh, those are pretty specialized equipment and also rather expensive. I mean, and and somewhat large and then, you know, bulky to to carry around. So it's not typically something that, uh, uh, your average person or civilian is going to have with them. Right. Um, 
So if we were to summarize, though, real quick for the M of the March algorithm or acronym, uh, massive hemorrhage, our two primary tools for dealing with that is direct pressure and tourniquet. Is that right? That's right. And then uh, you could throw that thir- third one in there, uh, pressure dressing and uh, hemostatic gauze. Yeah. Again, if you have one of those junctional wounds and you don't have a junctional tourniquet that you can use, uh, yeah, getting getting some uh, some hemostatic agent in there, getting and really again, that's where direct pressure is going to be your friend. Yes, absolutely. You can do a lot of good with just direct pressure. If you've got nothing else, just hold direct pressure until the ambulance gets to you, and and you stand a pretty good shot. Yeah. Awesome. What's the A of the March algorithm? A stands for airway. This is one of those things you're not going to be able to do too much for as a first responder. You're just not going to have the equipment. You're not going to have, you know, uh, an endotracheal tube, you know, to put down the throat or any other types of airways. Those are very specialized procedures that paramedics and, you know, surgeons do. So you won't have access to that kind of stuff. So the best thing that you can do is if the patient is coherent, they're awake and talking to you. Um, let them sit in a position that's most comfortable. Often, if they're struggling to breathe, then uh, they're going to stand up or or lean over into the tripod position with their hands or their arms on their knees and um, try to let them do that if the situation permits. If there's something crazy going on where it's dangerous for them to sit up, obviously don't let them. Um, but for the most part, we want to try to let them sit in a position that gets air in and out of their body as efficiently as possible and also helps to keep their airway clear. If you have a trauma patient, um, a lot of times you also have vomiting. And if they are unconscious, they might not be awake enough to spit that vomit out of their mouth. So you want to try to roll them into a recovery position if at all possible so that if they do throw up, that it's not getting sucked back into their lungs and they basically drown. So that's pretty much the only thing that you can really do for airway is to manage it that way. If they have an obstruction, say they got shot in the face or something, took a bat to the face and now they've got teeth in their throat, there's not a lot you could do for that as well unless you can actually see the object in there. You don't do a blind finger sweep. You stick your finger in there and you don't see it and try to hook it and pull it out. You don't do that. You try to, um, if you can see it, then you can try to reach in and grab it. I don't recommend that. Um, trauma patients, they, they're not with it mentally, and you could lose a finger if they decide to chomp down on you. So um, that's also a risky thing. So trying to keep that airway open as best you can is going to be a little hard. Generally, the best thing that you can do is try to roll them over into the recovery position as best you can. Yeah, and, and the recovery position, uh, I think that's something that is sometimes overlooked. Uh for instance, I just watched a video the other day. It was actually uh, a Black Lives Matter kind of protest thing. And, and, and some of these protests, they have uh, uh, their own medics that are running around. But I, it's rather dubious some, you know, the extent of the training of some of these so-called medics because I've yeah. seen pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Um, but, but there was something I saw the other day where they were trying to put somebody in the recovery position, but they, they really kind of missed some critical steps. Uh, you know, typically uh, you, you want to have, uh, you know, so if, if, if you roll somebody to the left side, you want to get their uh, left uh, arm tucked under their head and neck to support the head and neck. And you're going to place the right leg and knee over the left leg, which is straight or generally maintained straight. And that kind of helps that person keep from, you know, kind of helps keep them balanced there on their side. And they just kind of rolled this dude on his side. And, you know, when you just roll somebody on their side, like what happens? They want to either tip over to their front or tip over to their back. So they're kind of trying to hold him in place. Uh, and I'm thinking, all you got to do is a couple of real simple things. Uh, Try so don't, yeah, exactly. So don't, don't overlook uh, something as simple or as simple seeming as the uh, recovery position. Yeah. Yeah. The recovery position, you roll them onto their side. So that way they're not laying on their back and they just throw up and it just drains back down. So yeah. that way it just goes off to the side. So yeah, recovery position. Yeah. And w- what about uh, MPAs, Brian? Tell us about MPAs. MPAs are another great choice. Um, they're only used for people who are unconscious. Uh, you can put them into a, um, a live patient, but they don't like it very much. And what I'm talking about an MPA is just a, a, um, 
long, soft rubber trumpet, basically. And it runs into the nostril and down into the throat. And what that does is it helps keep a patent airway from your nose to your lungs. Sometimes what you'll have is if they have uh, facial trauma, neck trauma, anything like that is swelling and it'll shut off that airway or it'll, um, you, you risk having, um, you know, blood and other stuff running into the, the airway. So to try to keep that open, you can use a nasal pharyngeal airway, NPA, and run that into their nose. You want to use a little bit of a lube. A lot of times this, uh, the NPAs will come with a little packet of lube and you can lube it up on the end. As a medic, we were taught use whatever you have available. If you don't have the lube, get some blood on it, stuff it down there that way um, or whatever you've got available. Uh, so the NPAs are a great option to have for unconscious patients. You don't want to try to put it into a conscious patient. They don't really like it very much because it sits there in the back of the throat and it's pretty uncomfortable. If they're unconscious, they don't notice. But we used to do a little bit of training. We'd uh, When I was with the Marines, we would just get a Lance Corporal or something like that. Like, hey, get over here. Lay down and then, you know, we just run it into his nose so we can show everybody how to do it. And it, it it's fine. They don't like it, but, you know, yeah. it, it'll be okay. Is this something that you, well, first of all, tell me, I mean, wh- how limited if, can you describe to us, I mean, how frequent, I guess, or limited is, is a, is a true, is a, is an MPA truly needed, first of all? And then do you, is this something you generally recommend for civilians to really be concerned with? Well, it, it's kind of like, like rather untrained civilians, not, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. So the hardest part is trying to teach people how to do this, or at least getting the information out on how to do it. A lot of people will carry this kind of stuff in their kit and, and never really understand what they're doing or why they're doing it. So that's the most difficult part. Um, I think that if you understand how to use it and uh, you've been shown how to do it and you fully understand what to do with it, absolutely use it. I mean, it's just a soft piece of rubber. You're not going to hurt the casualty anymore necessarily. So um, if they don't really need that and you shove that in there, they just pull it out. No big deal, right? Um, if the casualty is awake, they probably won't let you do it anyway. Um, so if you've got it, definitely learn how to use it and when to use it. And it'll be a good piece of kit for you. All right. Let's, uh, so if we were to summarize the, the, our, the tools at our t- disposal for airway, what would that be? Uh, that would just be the NPA, um, understanding the recovery position, and um, letting them sit up in the tripod position if they are, um, if they are uh, alert and oriented. Conscious, yeah. Cool, great. Let's move on to R. R is for respirations, and this is the part of the March algorithm where you're going to check for penetrating chest trauma. So um, a lot of uh, your uh, community obviously is very gun oriented. So this could happen on a range. Someone's being negligent and they're not paying attention or, you know, you get in a gunfight and you take a couple rounds of the chest. That's what the chest uh, seals are for is for treating that. And the reason why you're treating it this far down in the line is because the, the main concern with the penetrating chest trauma is attention pneumothorax. And that can take around 20 minutes or so to develop. If anyone has seen that movie Three Kings with uh, Ice Cube, George Clooney, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, um, that's, a, that's got a pretty good description um, or visual image of what's happening when a tension pneumothorax occurs. The, the only thing that they got wrong in that is that they showed the tension pneumothorax being almost instantaneous. Mark Wahlberg gets shot in the chest. He goes down and immediately you start seeing what's happening inside his body as the tension pneumothorax um, starts to develop. And that can actually take around 20 minutes or so. So you've got a little bit of time to treat that. So that's not your main priority. Main priority is any major bleeding. You need to go and check the casualty for that first. You don't find that, manage their airway, then move on to the chest seals. And you need to have at least two chest seals in your medical kit. You have to have one for the entrance and the exit if there is one. There isn't always an exit, but you need to be prepared for that because if you're just putting a chest seal on the front, you totally forget about the back, then you've got um, you've got a hole that you haven't taken care of, that tension pneumothorax develops and your casualty can expire. So, and again, 
when um, paramedics are on scene within 15 minutes, your casualty might be starting to get pretty uncomfortable from that tension pneumothorax and they'll start having difficulty breathing and they'll be complaining about chest pain, of course. And um, you might also see jugular vein distension, JVD, and the jugular vein will actually stand out from the neck. And you also see tracheal deviation where the trachea will pivot to the opposite side of where the bullet hole was. So if I've got a hole here, it'll pivot to this side. And the reason for that is because because air is building up in that chest cavity and it's not being able to escape. Every time you breathe in, it sucks a little air into your chest, but it doesn't let any out. You breathe in again, a little more air, and that keeps going until it builds up and eventually it puts pressure on your heart and keeps your heart from beating. It, the pressure becomes so great, jugular vein distension, tracheal deviation, and you'll start seeing uh, a lot of problems with that. And to prevent that from happening, you need to put on the chest seal. Now, that's not going to fix them. They still need to get to the hospital. They need to see a surgeon so the surgeon can put in a chest tube, get that lung to reinflate and patch up all, all of the holes. But that will stabilize them and keep them alive until they can get there and get that done. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned before that I've sustained a, a pneumothorax yeah uh, long from a and it, it was my rib actually seven ribs that broke that ended up uh, puncturing my lung a uh, little bit different but but kind of results in the same thing you know where the air air is able to get outside of the lung and in the chest cavity and that continues to build and yeah. needs to be dealt with uh quickly that's pretty uh, uncomfortable uh, right it was, yeah, that was not fun, dude. And it, it definitely got worse, you know, the longer, uh, it, you know, as, as time went on, you know, getting uh, paramedics on the scene and transporting me to the hospital, uh, that was the longest uh, ride I have ever had. Uh, it felt like it lasted forever because... You, you probably notice if there's bumps in the road too, I bet. Oh, yeah. I mean, when, when you're struggling for every breath that you take, uh, boy, you, you, you start getting real, uh, yeah, real switched on to, you know, everything that's going on. Yeah. Uh, does not feel good. So, uh, yeah, chest seals, uh, big one there again. Yeah. In the context of shooting, uh, concealed carry, uh, that kind of thing, but we can have tension, pneumothorax issues, penetrating chest, uh, injuries, uh, when, you know, even with a, a vehicle accident where uh, part of the frame of the car gets twisted and broken and, and, and you know, shoves its way into, into, your, into somebody's chest or that kind of thing, right? Now, uh, we want to be really careful with removing objects from people's uh, bodies. In fact, we, we shouldn't do that. Uh, but if, if we have a penetrating chest injury or wound, uh, we, want to, uh, we want to close up that infiltration into the chest uh, with a chest seal as soon as we can. Yeah, definitely don't pull it out if there's an impaled object because that impaled object could be sealing off an artery or it, and in the fact of the, the chest, it could be sealing off the chest so that air isn't entering in. So it's yeah. effectively becoming its own chest seal. And if you pull that out, you, you're creating a lot more damage. Yep. Yep. Exactly. We're actually making it worse for them. So uh, now if, if you were faced with a situation where you had uh, a, a situation like that, you know, a, an object in, impaling somebody's chest and it was the difference between getting them removed from a vehicle that's about to explode or taking the risk of removing that object. Well, uh, I think we probably want to get them out of that. You know, we, this, this, and this is what's great about the March algorithm, Brian, uh, is it's, it's, it's intended to be followed in the order of the algorithm. It's not that we have to hit on everything because not every part of this algorithm is going to be an issue with every patient. Um, but, you know, we really should attack it from a, do we have massive hemorrhage first? Because they might have this other big issue, but if they bleed out in two minutes, that's the more immediate concern. Yeah. Uh, if we have somebody with, some kind of injury and moving them may make it worse, but at the same time, this vehicle could explode and just kill them, you know, instantly uh, or catch on fire or whatever. 
that that's the immediate concern. So we always got to try to be thinking in terms of these priorities and not getting roadblocked because we think that this thing or that thing is, well, we can't do that because of this. And we got to go in, in, in this order or whatever. So we got to always be, uh, you know, it's easy to get sucked in, in these uh, traumatic events into, it's kind of like, you know, how people talk about getting tunnel visioned uh, in a gunfight. Well, really any stressful event can kind of create an effect of tunnel vision. Uh, So just be aware of that. Yeah. I think breaking yourself out of that tunnel vision is something you, I always tried to do whenever I was working on a, a patient in a tense situation because you'll, you'll get focused in on one thing and then that's, that'll be the only thing that you see. Um, so what I would like try to do is I would pick my head up and look around me really carefully and identify some things. I would look over my casualty as I was working and making sure that I'm addressing everything that I needed to. And that's why the March algorithm helps is because it takes all of the guesswork out of it. All you got to do is remember March and that M starts for massive bleeding. Then you start running up on that casualty in the car or wherever it is. And you think to yourself, what do I do? Then you can think back to this podcast episode and think March M massive bleeding. That's where you start. And that's as that hardest step is that first one. If you can figure out what to do first, then the thing that comes after that is a little bit easier. You're like, okay, I got M out of the way. What's the next one? A airway. Okay. That's not really a concern right here. They're awake. They're breathing. They don't have any trauma to their chest. I can skip that one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you start moving down the list until you come to the next problem. And then, um, you know, you take the, save the day. I'm actually reminded of a video uh, that we just saw recently of a, uh, it was a stabbing victim mm-hmm. and police officers respond to the scene and uh, you got a man unconscious on the ground with apparent stab wounds. Uh, family members or neighbors or somebody uh, had attempted to wrap or tie clothing material yeah. down the individual's arm where they, it appeared that this, you know, this bad bleeding, this hemorrhage was occurring from um, officers arrive and he, he, he did the right thing. He starts trying to deal with the, the hemorrhage, gets a tourniquet placed on the arm. Uh, doesn't seem like there's any airway issue because you can actually see the man breathing. He's very shallow breathing, but he was breathing. Uh, and then he notices, he, it appears he has a uh, penetrating uh, chest wound. Uh, and so he applies a chest seal uh, as his next step. And once he got that addressed, and another officer arrived on scene, uh, then, then they started going back to the uh, apparent hemorrhage uh, wound, the blood, the bleeding on the arm and trying to figure out whether the tourniquet that was applied was effective, where exactly was the bleeding coming from, you know, that sort of thing. And I think this kind of starts leading us into to our next portion of the algorithm, Brian. Uh, so, so far we've covered massive hemorrhage, M, A for airway, R for, res- for respiration. And uh, I, to summarize your, your tool or tools for, for that R, uh, things like your chest seal, and then, so now we get to the C in the March algorithm. What's that? As C stands for circulation. And I like to think about this stage as, as like the recheck. This is where I'm going to check back over to make sure I didn't miss any major bleeding. And, and that's easy to do, um, especially if you're in a care under fire phase. Say there's an active shooter situation and uh, one of your buddies goes down, you could run over there and throw on a tourniquet, you see blood on his right leg. You throw on a tourniquet really close and heavy. You think you controlled it. You drag him off and totally miss the wound in his left arm. So the circulation phase of this allows you to go back over your casualty and make sure, do a more thorough check and make sure that you haven't missed any major bleeding. And to do this well, you need to expose the wound. Make sure that you, you know, if you've got trauma shears, you're stripping off all of those clothes so that you can get a real close look at where exactly where that wound is coming from and making sure that it's stopped with the tourniquet. If it hasn't been, then you need to make sure that tourniquet is doing what it's supposed to do. If it looks like it is, apply another tourniquet if that bleeding still hasn't topped. You're going to apply that even closer to the body. From So you're going to go closer to the body away from the wound. So if the tourniquet is above the knee, you're going to go high into the groin and apply the tourniquet there. So you always want to go closer to the body when you're putting on a new tourniquet. So circulation, this is where you're going to do that recheck and make sure that you haven't missed anything important. 
make sure you're getting a view of that injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've taught and you talk in the training video uh, about doing a a kind of a head to toe sweep. Uh, I imagine it's uh, really important to to do this with clean hands or as clean as you can, because again, you're trying to identify and make sure there's not anything else. Uh, and, and, you know, so you're sweeping the body, uh, sweeping around the head and the neck, coming down each, each arm, down the chest, the back, uh, the legs, the groin, et cetera, and, and checking hands, uh, as you're performing that sweep and looking to see if there's any additional blood to identify those other wounds. Yeah. I, I was taught to do a, a bear claw method. Where And that's more designed for, you know, when you're, it's really dark and you can't see and you don't know where the wounds are. And the idea is, is that one of your fingers will slip into the hole when you find one and then you'll be able to, you know, figure out where that is. But ideally, all you're trying to do is just a close examination. And um, one of the things you're going to be looking for are a lot of small wounds. You might need to treat those as well because a one big wound is really bad but so is a lot of small wounds. You can bleed out from that as well. Uh, in the military, this is a lot more common because you might get splattered with shrapnel and you've got yeah. a lot of holes everywhere. Um, not so much in the civilian world, but it is something you should probably pay attention to. You know, If there's a lot of small wounds, make sure that you're paying attention to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great stuff. And then another thing too, with circulation, I mean, isn't, isn't this the appropriate time to uh, check for pulse and, and that sort of thing? And I, I kind of think of it as a, a check to make, you know, to sort of check that the things I've done so far are actually working. Yeah. I, I think ideally you and I would probably do that because, you know, we've been trained on how to do it and it, it does get a little more complicated than just, you know, knowing uh, where your pulse is and how to take it. You also need to know, um, you know, what the average is for a pulse rate is, and that can change depending on your victim. You know, if you have a child, they might have a much higher heart rate um, than if you've got, you know, your 25-year-old triathlete, you know, they're going to have a much different heart rate, uh, and so will elderly. So um, it does take a little more effort to understand that, but again, it's very easy to do. Um, you got to stay on top of it. You got to always be practicing this stuff, always be remembering and trying it out or else you'll forget it. Um, but once you understand what you're doing when you're taking the vital signs, yes, this is absolutely a good time to um, start trying that out. Get a good pulse. Make sure that you've got a pulse on every limb that should have one. If you've got a tourniquet and you feel a pulse, Right. Your tourniquet's not doing very well. So you want to go back and recheck that as well. So yes, uh, this is a great place for that, uh, that circulation phase. Well, and I, I guess kind of where I'm going with it too, from a civilian context, we do have a lot of, uh, you know, non-professional civilians that may be uh, dealing with a situation like this. And you may not be fami- familiar with all the ins and outs of checking a pulse and reading it for what it is. Uh, but you know, the fact that you can find a pulse is a good, is a, is a good thing. Oh, Hey, their heart's beating. Blood is moving. I mean, this is the circulation phase of, of the March algorithm. Uh, and so it, it would be at this point, uh, you know, particularly if I was CPR AED trained, right. Cause again, keep keeping things in, in priority order. And this all happens very quickly. Massive hemorrhage. Oh man tourniquet on that thing, right? Check airway. Okay. They are breathing. I'm getting a little bit of, you know, air movement through, uh, from their, from their chest or their nose or whatever, their mouth, uh, respiration, chest seal, bam, it's on. Right. And then we're on to circulation. And if at this point we've, you know, know how to check a pulse because if they don't have a pulse and if you, if you check their wrist and you're not finding anything, you check their neck, you know, that's a lot closer to the heart, a little bit easier to find. Uh, you're not getting anything there it's time for compressions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can check one of the best ways to start learning how to check your pulse is just start on yourself, you know, um, find all of your own pulses first and then start getting your family members to hold still for you for a little while so that you can find theirs. You know, I, I like to try to find the pulse on my wife and my kids, you know, because I've got three savage little boys running around. They get into trouble all the time. I want to make sure that I know how to take care of them when time comes as well. And, um, and it also gets them used to uh, the whole process as well. They learn a little yeah. bit at the same time. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Great. 
All right, so if we are summarizing our tools available to you know and at our disposal for circulation, part of the March algorithm uh, would be checking for additional bleeding, checking uh, that uh, uh, tourniquets and things that have already been applied are are working, that they're still in place, that nothing has slipped or moved, and then perhaps also checking for pulse and checking if their heart is actually working, uh, and if not, considering uh, using chest compressions or uh, if an AED is available. Uh, that, that, boy, that's, that's sure a thing, isn't it, Brian? You know, and we're seeing so many more of them in public spaces, especially there more and more of them are available to where, you know, anytime you, you have a stopped heart, uh, we want to get on the compressions right away because that should be done while we're waiting for an AED, AED to arrive. Uh, but if you're the ones taking charge of the scene, you need to be directing people to go find an AED if it's available, because that is an absolute lifesaver. Didn't we have a story come across a little while ago where someone was at a gun range and somebody had an AED in their trunk? Yeah, I think that was, was that a PCC match or a three gun match? I was in Missouri, by the way. Huh. Uh, and yes, there was an AED on site uh, that uh, a fellow competitor had with them. Uh, and a, a gentleman, a fellow competitor had collapsed from a heart attack and they were able to grab the AED. I mean, keep in mind, they're at a gun range that a lot of gun ranges aren't necessarily close to uh, immediate medical care. Uh, more and more gun ranges, by the way, are having are keeping AEDs on hand, but uh, sometimes they may still be a ways away. But this fellow competitor had one in their vehicle, and within seconds was able to retrieve that and get this AED going on this gentleman. It saved his life. That's amazing. It truly is. It, I I I think yeah, it's amazing that she even had that in her car. That was that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's why you need the medical kits. Uh, the the Wind River is why we got that set up. is is primarily for um, organizations like gun ranges or people that are going to these matches. You never know, especially you know if you've got someone that you know has a negligent discharge. It goes through two or three people. Um, then you know you want to have the stuff available to be able to take care of that. Yep. Yep. There you go. And and that's that's exact. That was exactly our thought process and your thought process when this Wind River kit was put together. The whole reason that there's two cat tourniquets in there, uh, you know, and there's also still SWAT T available because it's a very real possibility in the case of a high powered rifle, you know, a thirty out six, a three oh eight, a seven mm, you know, that sort of thing uh, being discharged. It could very easily pass through multiple people, uh, wounding you know a lot of people. So. Uh, that's why this kit is, is it goes a little bit above and beyond just helping out uh, one person. Yeah. All right. That brings us to the H of the March algorithm. Yes. And uh, H stands for head injury. And additionally, it's probably a little more importantly, it states for hypothermia. And the reason why head injury is so far down on the list is because there's not a lot you can really do for a head injury. Um, when you're out in the field, there's there's just not much that you can do. Uh, you want to try to keep an eye on their neck and make sure that you know, you're trying to stabilize the spine as much as possible, trying to keep it in place if you can. There are some techniques uh, for doing that the best possible way. And then uh, at the same time of stabilizing the neck, you're also going to try to do it in a way that allows them to move air into and out of their body more efficiently. So um, there is a little bit of training that goes into that so that you can do it right. So head injuries, there's not a lot that you can do for it. Make sure that you're calling 911 at your earliest poss- at the earliest possibility so that you can get medics on, on, on scene. But beyond that, just try to keep them stabilized. Try to make sure that they're not moving their neck and their head around as much as possible. But the last H, I'm sorry, what's that? I was just saying, yeah, I, I agree. Keep, keep going, brother. <laughs> okay. Preach the, last, the gospel. The last one is uh, hypothermia. Um, trauma patients, especially ones that have gotten uh, lost a lot of blood, are at a huge risk for hypothermia. Your blood does a lot to regulate your body temperature. And uh, if you've lost a lot of blood, you could start to see a decrease in the core body temperature. So if you're going to be on scene for any length of time, you want to try to make sure that you're keeping your casualty nice and warm. And you can do that with a couple of various different ways, coats and blankets, or move them inside next to the heater or whatever that you need to do. Um, in the Wind River kits, we have um, the emergency blankets, the the uh, Mylar 
blankets that you can spread over them to help keep them warm. You want to make sure that you're doing that because if you don't, they have a risk of, of dying from that. And it also decreases their ability to survive the injury. Even if they do get to the hospital, if their body temperature is too low, they, it might not be high enough for them to actually recover from it. And it also inhibits the clotting of the blood and increases bleeding. So keeping the patient warm is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why the, uh, the, the wind river kit, uh, from out my medical, it's the first kit that's really a little bit, it, it's more able to deal with a, the broader spectrum of the March algorithm of helping people, uh, get through these traumatic events, uh, yeah, having that the inclusion of that space blanket, or that's that's what I call a space blanket, right? Uh, the the uh, rescue emergency blanket, whatever. Um, so that's in there as well. So yeah, good good thing to have. So Brian, we've gone through M massive hemorrhage, A airway or airway control, another phrase that's used for C for circulation, R respiration, and H hypothermia and head trauma. How do we wrap this up? Well, um, I would say that um, one of the biggest things that I've noticed, especially when I was early on in my career, is not knowing what to do next. I would go through the entire March algorithm, and then I'd think, all right, uh, now what? You know, um, you're still looking at the patient. The patient's still there. There's still blood everywhere, and uh, the ambulance hasn't showed up. What, what do you do now? And the best thing that you can do? Start at the top and, go and work your way back down again. And I just keep going over the March algorithm over and over again until help arrives. I start at the top. I work at March, making sure all of my tourniquets are where they're supposed to be and they're doing what I want them to do. And then I just keep working my way down and hit each one of those wickets and make sure that I took care of everything that I needed to and I didn't forget anything. And I just keep doing that until help arrives. Yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible. You work your way through the algorithm and something's changed, you know, in that time, you know, maybe they were breathing before, but then all of a sudden that breathing stops. Right. Uh, that sort of thing. So yeah, we want yeah. to stay on top of it. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Brian, it's been a great episode today to, to go over this, cover this with you. As, as Mark is commenting here on Facebook, this is super informative. Uh, I'm glad we could uh, bring this content to you, Mark, and everyone else watching and listening wherever you may be. Uh, again, Brian is super passionate about this. I am super passionate about this. Uh, I think, you know, here's the thing, L super low commitment because it's not even going to cost you a dime. And even if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't have any training, I don't know where I'd get training, uh, I don't have money to afford training, uh, that sort of thing, you know what, just get started and go to mountainmanmedical.com forward slash trauma dash medicine dash training and take the emergency trauma response free online video training course, a uh, couple hours of content there. Really, really good stuff. Join the Facebook group that uh, those that go through that training are are able to to then become a part of, uh, and then and go find a stop the bleed course because again those are much more widely available than probably people realize. Uh, I could just about guarantee you there's something reasonably close to you wherever you may be. Uh, where you can get a stop the bleed course. And if you can't find one, you can go to their website and I'm pretty sure there's a way you can request or you can, you know, start asking for some resources about how to maybe bring one to you. So, uh, and, and so maybe right, there, there absolutely could be the opportunity to set one up in your local community, wherever you may be. So uh, get, get started and just take this free online training course. That'll get your, 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 your appetite whetted, if you will, uh, get you kind of started and then take it from there. Again, today uh, we're also recognizing the new Mountain Man Medical Wind River Trauma Kit. Uh, again, this thing about as massive as my head is. Of course, everybody knows how how big my ego is. So it's <laughs> a really, you know, huge kit. Uh, <laughs> so uh, no, this is uh, I'm really excited about this product. Uh, since we launched this, what, like last week, I've actually been really pleased with uh, just how fast they've been selling. People seem to really be excited about these kits and they're, they're great kits. Uh, good, kudos to you, Brian, and putting them together. 
Thank you. Yeah, we've been uh, getting a lot of good responses from a lot of people are buying multiples, I'm assuming for organizations, you know, putting them in their church or, you know, wherever they're at, uh, making sure that everyone's got the gear that they need. Or making sure they have one in every vehicle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, mountainmedical.com is where you can find all this great content and these products. Of course, uh, we got more stuff planned and more stuff coming too. So uh, stay tuned. Yeah. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel where we talk more about this kind of stuff. So if you want to head over there, just subscribe to that. And I've got a bunch of videos already up and more on the way. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for doing this episode with me today, Brian. Absolutely. I had a blast. We'll, we'll see you again soon, I am sure. So, folks, that is a wrap for this episode. Uh, we'll be back with more podcast content next week, so be watching for us. Uh, good things coming, uh, more content, and then actually some, some special interviews, too, that we're getting lined up that I'm really looking forward to as well. So with that, uh, we're going to let you go. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.